Our topic today is um, leadership lessons from the life of King Hezekiah. Leadership lessons from the life of King Hezekiah. Um, Pastor David, uh, why are you talking about leadership lessons? Well, Scripture wants us to... Um, to go through scriptures and find things that we can adopt and adapt or um, or and sometimes things we see in scriptures that he wants us um, to avoid um, and evade uh, from our lives. And so we just want to look at one of the key figures. This is um, because, of course, I'm named David. David is one of my Bible here is one of the main ones that I've studied life principles from and have tried to model um, the things that I saw that the Lord really revealed to me. But here's another uh, real hero of mine. And as a part of an assignment that I'm doing through um, some leadership and ordination training um, that I'm in right now, I did this study and I said I wanted to share it with my men as well. So leadership um, lessons. We, we there? Hallelujah. Okay. So um, Second Timothy, I got some scriptures that I want to read to you. First of all, just to give you the background of um, this thing that we're doing with the leadership lessons. All right. Second Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable and is profitable in several areas. It's profitable for, for doctrine. Doctrine is orderly teaching of scripture so that people understand the word It's is. Um, it's also profitable for reproof. Reproof means you think you're right, but you're really wrong. And scripture has a way it can call you out if you let it. But you got to want to let it because some people don't want to be reproved. I, I'm asking, Lord, listen, I don't want to find out when I can't fix it. I want to fix it now. All right. It's profitable for correction. Correction begins to tell you how to... Um, Hey, I, some areas of my life are out of order. There's some, there's a pattern in scripture that I can use to get back in line with God and instruction in the right thing. Maybe I'm not out of order, but I'm just, I need skill to move further in the thing that I was created to do and created for. And it says that it's, it's profitable for these things that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now that's, that's a key statement for us because we believe um, our, our core scripture was Ephesians as a church is Ephesians 2.10, that we are recreated in Christ Jesus for good works that God has prepared for us to walk in them. Now, God has prepared good works for us. The scripture prepares us for the good works. I didn't have that in my notes. You might want to walk that, write that one down. God prepares us for the good works according to. Uh, prepares good works for us according to Ephesians 2.10 and according to this passage of scripture, he uses scripture to prepare us for the good works. And so <laughs> I was uh, speaking with the minister and I said, uh, when opportunity knocks, preparation ought to answer the door. Yeah. When opportunity knocks, preparation ought to answer the door. And here it tells me how I'm going to get prepared for the good works that I was created for. First Corinthians 10 and 11 said 
Now all these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. So there are things that were written in the scripture before that could give me insight on how I live today. Oh, that's an old book. It was old time. Hold it, hold it, hold up. He's saying that things were written so that I would know and I would get pressed to move in a certain direction. Because uh, in the age I live in, I can look back at their age and find something that I can do in my age that will make me successful. Um, Romans 15 and 4 says, for whatever things were written before were written for our learning that we through the patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. So I can look at their lives and learn key principles and then learn things that help me to endure and that give me some comfort that, you know what, God brought them. So I have hope and expectation that the God that worked that principle out and their life will work it out in my life. Amen. Praise the Lord. That made me happy right there. If you in the middle of something and you saw somebody wrote wrote a path, had a path for you and said, hey, if, you know, I was in the middle of a similar situation. And in my similar situation, this is what I did. If you and this is the outcome. If you do what I did, you'll get the outcome I got. And if God says I'm Jehovah, I approve that message. Then that gives me a lot of confidence. I have through um, through the scriptures. If I learn, then I have patience and comfort and hope. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Now, this is another passage of scripture, uh, Romans 15, excuse me, Revelation 1, 4 through 6. We're talking about leadership lessons from the life of Hezekiah. And uh, well, man, I mean, but Hezekiah was a king. Well, so are you. All right, let's look at it. Um, John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler over the kings of the earth to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. So, OK, so the same Jesus that loved us, washed us from our sins in his own blood, has made us kings and priests to his God and father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. God, through Jesus Christ, has made us kings and priests. All right. So then I can look at a king and get some lessons and get some comfort so that get some instruction, get some admonition on things that I should or should not do in, in terms of the kingly roles that he assigned me. Now, I got a definition. What does it mean to be a king? If you ever gotten an email from me, you might have gotten one. And it says King David Johnson. And of course, it's a play on words. It's a play on the King David in the Bible. But it's also a play on this scripture here. The fact that we're in the kingdom, but Jesus is the king of kings. And that's not just something me above somebody else. Everybody has a king. I just want to know it. And I just want to know how to work it in Jesus name. Now, let's look at my definition of king um, that God gave me. Um, it's an acrostic definition. So each of the letters, the first letters of the words uh, spell out king. It's knightly, ingenious, noble and gallant. Knightly, um, a person that's a knight is a person prepared to take up arms for the kingdom. If you if you are a knight, you are you have shining armor, you have weapons and those weapons are used on behalf of the king and the kingdom. Um, 
A king is supposed to be ingenious, a person of specific wisdom for kingdom advancement. Solomon said, God, you've made me a king. You got to give me some wisdom to know how to move the kingdom forward. Noble. A, a, a king is a person who's who's recognized as being born into royalty. Right. That's why people rave over these royal babies, because they know that they are born into a royal family and gallant. Gallant gallantry is not a word that's commonly used today, um, but it means to be a person of courage, bravery and heroism. So when I'm saying you are a king, that's what I'm saying. That you you know your weapons, you, you have God gives you wisdom, you recognize that you are born into a kingdom, that the blood of Jesus Christ, his DNA runs in you. And whatever fight you have to face, you will be courageous in it. You don't run from the battle. You run to the battle. Amen. All right. Now, um, it's not my topic today, but just because I'm a teacher and I always like to get complete um, definitions. And I also have a definition for priests. I won't spend a lot of time on it. Um, a priest is a preacher responsible to intercede, eulogize, sacrifice and teach. Priest, a priest is a preacher. Now, everybody, he made all of us priests. That means all of us are preachers and we're responsible to intercede. A priest, one of his responsibilities is to pray for those that are under their charge. That's why you got to pray for your family, you know, um, so to intercede. Then eulogize. Eulogize doesn't mean to be the person that speak at a funeral. You EU is the word good. Logos is words. So eulogy means to speak good words. Literally, the word eulogize means to speak blessings. Now, we do eulogize a person. Hopefully, we can speak well of them. But some people, you have to be quiet at their funeral if you really want to speak a blessing. Um, sacrifice, gifts, and service to God, right? A priest was the one who offered the the sacrifices of blood. And then, of course, they taught the people. All right. King Hezekiah is an excellent example of the complexity of leadership and the fragility, the, 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 the instability of people. We see in him, as we do in all of us, good and bad, strengths and weaknesses. So there are leadership lessons, things to adopt and adapt. And then there's um, things to avoid and evade that we see in his life. Two scriptures challenged me as an overall assessment of his leadership tenure. Second Kings 18, one through three, I have that. And it says, now it came to pass in the third year of Hosea, Hosea, the son of Eli, king of Israel, that Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. He was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abby, the, the daughter of Zechariah. And this is the verse that I, I love. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father David had done. Now, his father David means he was in David's family. Didn't mean David was his direct father, his direct father. Um, it told us above was Ahaz, and that's important. All right. Now, um, but all of us have some good and bad days, some up and some down days. Let's look at Second Chronicles 32, verse 24 through 26. 
And in those days, Hezekiah was sick and near death, and he prayed to the Lord, and he spoke to him and gave him a sign. But Hezekiah did not repay according to the favor shown him, for his heart was lifted up. Therefore, wrath was looming over him and over Judah and Jerusalem. Then Hezekiah humbled himself for the pride in his heart, he and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the wrath of the Lord did not come upon them in the days of Hezekiah, in the days of Hezekiah. The wrath came, he just delayed it. But the start of the wrath had to do with the pride that was in his heart. So when we see in the life of Hezekiah, we see the complexity of human emotion, desire, goals, virtues, values, and vices that affect all of us. Would to God that I could see in him and in me only virtue. I wish that everything that I saw in him was good, and I wish everything that I saw in me was good. Alas, we all must live circumspectly and with humility, or as Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10 and 12, therefore let he who thinks he stands take heed lest he falls. So I got a list and then I'll just quote some scriptures and you can take them down for your own reference today. Eight, eight values, eight leadership values that we want to adopt from the life of Hezekiah. Eight leadership lessons that we see and want to adopt from the life of Hezekiah. Number one, Hezekiah showed a willingness to look critically at the leadership of his predecessors and desire to, to serve the true God and is and then in our own generation. So Hezekiah was looked critically at the leaders that went before him. And then based on what he assessed about them, he made his own decisions about how he was going to lead. All right. Um, Hezekiah clearly looked past the evil leadership of his own direct natural father, whose name was Ahaz, and then went back to hearken back to the patriarch in his family, David, and follow his pattern and principles. Well, Look, what do we know about Ahaz? Second Kings 16, 2 through 4 tells us that Ahaz was 20 years old when he became king. He reigned in 16 years in Jerusalem, and he did not do what was right in the sight of the Lord as his father David had done. But he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel, right? That was their sister nation because they had civil war and had split apart. Indeed, he made his son pass through fire. So one... Hezekiah's had a brother who um, Ahaz killed by, by a human sacrifice and, and sacrificed him, him in fire. According to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord had cast out from before the children of Israel. And he sacrificed and burned incense on the high places and on the hills and under every green tree, which means he was worshiping and sacrificing not to the God of Israel, but to foreign gods 
which are just demons. All right. Further, so Hezekiah, when it said Hezekiah did what was right in the sight of the Lord, he had to look past his daddy to do what was right. Sometimes, sometimes, sometimes you wish you had the best example at home that you wanted or previous um, the, the person that is in front of you was it. But sometimes you got to reach back beyond them and then you can't make an excuse. See, I, we're coming up on Father's Day. Uh, let me give you a trailer for my Father's Day message. Sometimes I deal with men and then they say, you know, they're married and their wives are not happy. And they say and their kids are not are not putting in. And then they say, well, my daddy wasn't around. So um, um, because he wasn't all of this, then I don't know what to do. No, Hezekiah said, I'm going to be responsible. I don't care what happened in front of me. My direct dad wasn't good, but he went back and found a better example and said, I'm going to follow that example because that one was better than my daddy. Whatever your leadership responsibility, you have to be able to look at what went in, in front of you and decide if it's good, go with it. If it's bad, kick it out. But you got to make your own shot in your generation. and You can't blame nobody else. So 2 Kings 18 and 4 said that Hezekiah removed the high places and broke the sacred pillars, cut down. Um, uh, let me let me make another statement. All right. So he he he. Um, so what he did was he undid the bad leadership of his dad. My father said, I did a lot of good stuff, but I really didn't take care of my health. That's what he told me on his deathbed. I need you to do better. And I mean, the good stuff, he, he wanted me to take the good stuff, but the bad stuff, he wanted me to do something different. Hezekiah was the guy who said, uh, nah, that, that wasn't good. Now, when we think critically of leadership, now I'm going to skip into leadership and ministry. When you begin to think critically of leadership and ministry, some things weren't bad in their time, but they're just past their time. Okay. It was nothing wrong when we had, you know, ditto machines that had that made programs for church. That just done passed his time. When we started this church, we didn't have all of this media. We had flimsies, transparencies, and an overhead projector. There wasn't nothing wrong with it, but that is past its time. Can I get an amen? You roll, you roll up, you roll up in a church and they still doing flipping transparency. You're like, okay, what in the world? What kind of time machine have I stepped into? And so I got. I want to show you something from this scripture and I'm reading out of second Kings 18 and four. So he recognized where he was in his own generation. And then he looked at what was truth in a previous generation had become vain tradition and where we, he, where they had turned an instrument of God into an idol of their own making. All right. So 2 Kings 18.4, he removed the high places and broke down the sacred pillars. That was Ahaz, the stuff he had done. 
And then watch and cut down the wooden image and broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made. Okay, hold up, Pastor. You remember that bronze serpent? The children of Israel were in the wilderness and then they start complaining and then they got bit by snakes. And then God told Moses to make a bronze serpent and whoever looked up at the serpent would live. And Jesus said, like Moses raised up the snake in the wilderness, he would be raised up. So whoever looked upon Jesus would live just like those who looked upon Moses serpent would live. But by the time Hezekiah had come Many centuries later, many generations later, there was no snakes around and people was bowing down to that bronze snake like it was God. Sometimes we take something that's a real move of God and then it has passed its time. It's over. It's dead. All right. We trying to ride a, a we trying to ride the dead horse after we have turned it into glue and we still trying to ride it. All right. So one of the things we want to do is, you know, I'm, I'm really spending um, I'm 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 motivated now. As I work with young ministers or young people that I'm mentoring in engineering in my profession, I want I want them to know what I did and I want them to know why I did it. But I don't want them to just take what I did. I want them to look and say, what from this should I carry out forward and what should, should I throw it away? Maybe it was good in my time and it won't be good in their time. Does that make sense? All right. Um, further, Hezekiah was willing to search out and document proven leadership principles so that he could base his righteous rule upon them. Proverbs 25 and 1 said, these also are the Proverbs of Solomon, which the men of Hezekiah, king of Judah, copied. In other words, Hezekiah said, I'm, I'm doing something that somebody else has done before me. May not be exactly the same, but they got some principles. I can go back and learn what they did and do it in my generation. I don't want to, everybody want to, I just want to be a one day wonder. I want to just, I just want to do my own thing. No, I want to understand what people have done that's successful that I can take and make it successful in my room and, and what God has called me to do. Now, that doesn't make you them. Hezekiah taking Solomon's Proverbs didn't make Hezekiah Solomon. He just had a set of wisdoms that he could use to make him successful that had already been proven and tested and tried. All right. So that's number one. Looking back at our main list here. Hezekiah was critical and could make assessments of the previous generation. Number two, Hezekiah also had a trust and faith in God that was exceptional beyond those who came before and after. This trust in God and obedience to God produced a season of prosperity in leadership and ministry. We get, where do we get this from? Second Kings 18, 18th chapter, verse five through seven says, he trusted in the Lord God of Israel so that after him was none like him among all the kings of Judah, nor who were before him. For he held fast to the Lord. He did not depart from following, his, following him, but kept his commandments, which the Lord had commanded Moses, 
the Lord was with him. He prospered wherever he went and he rebelled against the king of Assyria and did not serve him. So there were enemies because the children of Israel has um, and the, 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 the tribes of Judah, the kingdom of Judah has served uh, fido, uh, idol gods. Then they began to be subservient to foreign nations. Okay, and so when he got the bad gods out, then he got the nations out too. said, no, nah, I ain't running. You don't you don't get to tell me what to do. Now that I'm back to the real God, I get to tell you what to do. See, um, that's why we don't worship the almighty dollar. OK, because the dollar is not it's it's a good servant, but it's a bad master. <laughs> All right. We worship God and then the dollars come to find us. These blessings overtake those that hearken diligently to the voice of God. Number three, number three, number three. Hezekiah demonstrated a desire to lead in repentance through restoration of righteous principle. So one of the things he did, I'll, I'll read part of this in 2 Corinthians 9, 2nd, 2nd, excuse me, not Corinthians, 2 Chronicles 29, and I'm going to start at verse 3. And it says, in the first year of his reign, in the first month, he opened the door of the house of the Lord and repaired them. Then he brought the priests and the Levites and gathered them in the east square and said to them, hear me, Levites, now sanctify yourselves, sanctify the house of the Lord your God and carry out the rubbish from the holy place. For our fathers have trespassed and done evil in the eyes of the Lord our God. They have forsaken him, have turned their faces away from the dwelling place of the Lord and turned their backs on him. They have also shut the doors of the vestibule, put out the lamps and have not burned incense or offer burnt offerings in the holy place to the God of Israel. Therefore, the wrath of the Lord fell upon Judah and Jerusalem, and he has given them up to trouble, to desolation, to jeering or to being made fun of, as you see with your eyes. All right. So he went on to say, listen, 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 y'all. We need to turn this thing around and get right with God. The reason, see, that's, you got to be real critical to look at the, what your daddy did and say, well, man, he just didn't do good up in this one. And say, because him and the, some generations before him had turned their backs on God, then we got in a bunch of trouble. Now we're turning it around, right? So he wanted to build this on righteous principle. He did that. He put the tabernacle back together. He put the, 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 the worship in place. He got all of the things from King David and, um, and put all of the worship teams back to place. He sanctified and had a whole, he had a whole revival to start their nation turning around. Now look at number four. Now all of those people was the people he was king over, right? In other words, in the area where he had formal authority, he said, as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. Listen, um, if it's under your roof, you know, you can be more directive. OK, we're going to do this. OK, um, but even beyond the people who you get to tell what to do, you can still invite them to do it with you. So look at number four. Hezekiah demonstrated a desire to influence beyond his formal authority. He valued unity and invited others who were not under his direct rule to participate in his revival. So what Hezekiah did, 
and this is in Second uh, Chronicles chapter 30, because the nation has split, there were the 10 northern tribes and the two lower tribes of Judah and Benjamin, which was collectively called Judah, and then the other tribes, which collectively still called Israel. He sent out letters to them and said, hey, I'm about to have a revival. Come on in. Come on. God's working with us. Come on in. I want you to participate. Don't be left out. God is doing something amazing in, in, in and with us. I want you to participate in it. Some people came to it. Others laughed at him and stayed in the mess that they was in. But he did what was right because he invited them in. Amen. All right. So, Pastor, why are you telling me all of this? Because you'll have some some things you should be saying if you're the head of a home, even if you're not the head of a home. If you're a man, you're supposed to be the head of your life. And you're supposed to say, as for me and my house. Now, your house may be the address that you live in, or it may just be your physical house. You should say, I'm going to serve the Lord. And then if I have and if I take on the authority of a family, then I say me and my family house will serve the Lord. And then other people, I say, you get to come along with me if you want to. Now, if you don't. You know, God will respect your right. God will respect your right to be wrong. But I, I'm giving you a chance to get in on what God has given me. Somebody say amen. Now, let's look at number five. Number five says Hezekiah valid, uh, valued diligence, dedication, and determination in service of God and delegated those values to those he led. He valued being hard work, um, doing hard work for God. Now, some people, oh, man, it's not of works. We save by faith. I, I'm not saying about salvation. Listen, if you saved, um, if you want other people to get in, you're going to have to work for it. You're going to have to do something. You're going to have to. God wants people who are committed to help the work of God go forward. And it is work. Man, don't think that Bible that you got in your hand or the electronic version came easy. The people that they wrote, they, they put they, they blood, sweat and tears to get that to you. All right. So in Second Chronicles 31, it says, now, when all this was finished, all Israel who were present went out to the cities of Judah and broke the sacred pillars in pieces, cut down the wooden images and threw down the places and altars from all Judah, Benjamin, Ephraim, Manasseh until they utterly destroyed them all. Then all the children of Israel returned to their own cities, every man to his possession. And Hezekiah appointed the divisions of priests and Levites according to the division. Every each man, according to his own service, the priests and the Levites for burnt offerings and peace offerings to serve, to give thanks and to praise in the gates of the camps of the Lord. All right. So um, he began to get the people together. He had the priests come. They began to give offerings to God again, which they had stopped, right? Because people get in their own thing. Okay, I'm, I'm not going to church. I'm, I'm not giving neither. Well, praise the Lord. And um, and the people saw that God was blessed because Hezekiah had a value for this, but he influenced the people that he led to have the same value. I'm at a point in my life um, that I want to transmit values that I have to people. 
And I'm not telling you you got to do it. I just want them to understand why I do what I do, why I think it's beneficial, what it has produced in my life, and what it'll produce in your life if you adopt it as well. Still got to put it on in your own area, in your own way. But I at least want you to think critically, man, could this be something of value that I see um, in the life of my pastor, mentor, um, whatever I am, and that'll bless you as well. Hezekiah valued certain things. He valued diligence, dedication, and determination in service of God, and he delegated those values to those he led. People were inspired to participate with him. Number six, Hezekiah, in the difficulty of battle, battle valued the arm of the Lord and translated that to his people. Second Chronicles 32 tells us a story of a time when um, Hezekiah was serving God, people was, was with him, they had turned around, they had a revival, things start to turn around. And then what we told you in one of our earlier passages of scriptures was that the nation that had... Um, kind of exercised dominion over them was the Assyrian nation. And he threw off um, the Assyrian colonizers. He had a declaration of independence <laughs> and he told them to get out. But then the empire of Assyria came to fight back a few years later. And what um, this, the scripture tells us in 2 Chronicles 32, 1 through 8, that after these deeds of faithfulness, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came and entered Judah. He encamped against the fortified cities, thinking to win them for himself. And when, um, and when Hezekiah saw that Sennacherib had come and that his purpose was to make war against Jerusalem, he consulted with his leaders and commanders. All right. And then I'm skipping down to verse six. Then he set military captains over the people and gathered them together to him in the open square of the city gate and gave them encouragement. Hezekiah gave his people encouragement. And he said, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid nor dismayed before the king of Assyria, nor before all the multitude that is with him. For there are more with us than with them. With him is an arm of flesh, but with us is the, is the Lord God to help us and to fight our battles. And the people were strengthened by the words of Hezekiah, king of Judah. All right. So um, whatever you face, whatever group of people that count on you and somewhere somebody's counting on you, you need to, in your own battle, Count on the arm of the Lord. And the people that you lead, you need to encourage them to do the same. That's one of the lessons that we learn from Hezekiah. You know, just having different challenges in my own situation. And I'm, I'm allowing people to come in and see the challenge. Pastor David, why are you allowing people to come in and see the challenge? Why don't you come in like everything is everything and you, you never had a bad day? 
um, because that's not how their life's going to be. And I want them to see me count on God. And then I want them to encourage them to count on God so that they'll know how to do it in their own battle. That's our objective. Somebody say amen if that's blessing you. Number seven, Hezekiah demonstrated a willingness to consult other proven prophetic voices for counsel and encouragement in times of crisis, challenge, and critical change. Um, as a leader, you should have your own relationship with God. All right? Do not delegate and make somebody else responsible to do your praying for you. That's why we have Men of Destiny prayer, so that you know how to have and work with God and spend time seeking him about the specific challenges that you face in your own life and situation. However, 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 some people take that truth to an extreme. They say, well, um, well, God just got to show it to me. If he didn't show it to me, then it can't be true. Hold up. Pump the brakes. One of the things that we learn from Hezekiah is there are other people who are more connected with God and who God, um, more connected with God is not because of connection, but in terms of more, more seasoning, more development, more maturity, and a more, some of them have a greater calling in that area. And you need to know how to connect to them and not only take the benefit from your own life, but take the benefit from their ministry. You want other people, if God's called you to minister to them, to take benefit from yours. So you need to know that other people got some stuff that can help you, too. You got stuff that can help somebody. Other people have things that can help you. When Hezekiah got into trouble, he had a prophetic voice that he listened to whose name was Isaiah. Now, that's a good voice to listen to. If the Bible, if God has you put your words down as scripture, that would be a good guy to listen to. I'm just saying. And so he listened to Isaiah in times when he had difficulty. So um, when, when Sennacherib came, from Assyria said, we getting your land back, bruh. You, 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 you out. I'm, I'm about to take you out. And then <laughs> Sennacherib um, sent his generals. And then his generals rolled up to the capital city. The capital city, of course, now is under, is under military alert. So all the gates are up. You can't get in. But the king... And the military men are around the walls getting ready for the fight. And the generals are out there saying, I'm about to take your head off. We're about to take you out. And then they said, they gave him an offer. They said, listen, we don't even have to fight. You open the gate and uh, we'll just take you and make you slaves. And we'll, we'll take you from this land to another land. And it's a good land. We, we ain't going to take you. We'll put you on a slave ship, but it'll be a good slave ship and we'll take you to a good land. And then when they said that, the scripture said 
that uh, that uh, Hezekiah's men said, listen, you don't have to speak to us in Hebrew. Why don't you speak to us in Aramaic? We know your language. They said, no, we ain't just talking to you. We talking to all your people. We telling them to leave you and come out and defect and we'll take you away slaves. So then and then they wrote he, he wrote the king wrote him a nasty letter, said, I'm coming for you, man. I got you. I'm about to take you out. And then in Isaiah chapter 37 talks about this in verse one through seven. And it says, and so it was when King Hezekiah heard it that he tore his clothes, covered himself with sackcloth and went into the house of the Lord. He went into his own prayer time when he got into trouble. But he didn't just go into his own prayer time. He got prayer reinforcements. Verse two says, then he sent Eliakim, who was over the household, Shabna, the scribe, and the elders of the priests, covered with sackcloth, to Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos. And they said to him, thus says Hezekiah, this day is a day of trouble and rebuke and blasphemy. For the children have come to birth, but there is no strength to bring them forth. It may be that the Lord, your God, will hear the words of Rabshakeh, whom his master, the king of Assyria, has sent to reproach the living God and rebuke the words which the Lord, your God, has heard. Therefore, lift up your prayer for the remnant that is left. Now, not only had had Sennacherib sent his guy to talk bad about the king, he also talked bad about their God. He's like, listen, I'm taking you out and I'm taking your God out because your God is no better than the other guys. Our God is better than yours because we don't beat everybody else. And so we're going to beat you and your God. Now, see, you got to be careful when you're trying to punk out God. I'm just saying. All right. Now let's look at verse number seven. So the servant servants of King Hezekiah came to Isaiah and Isaiah said to them, thus, you shall say to your master, thus says the Lord, do not be afraid of the words which you have heard with with which the servants of the king of Assyria have blasphemed me. Surely I will send a spirit upon him and he shall hear rumor and return to his own land. And I will cause him to fall by the sword in his own land. So there was another army that they heard was coming. The army went back. They sent back to, to Hezekiah and said, but we still going to get you, though. And uh, when they got back, just like God said, he killed them all and they died in Jesus name. All right. Now look at number eight on our list. This is the final one of our leadership, main leadership lessons that we see from his life. Um, and it said, while Hezekiah listened to other voices, he understood that God had the final say and how to, and he understood how to appeal to the God of heaven. All right. So um, in Isaiah chapter 38, one through six, this was when Hezekiah got sick and uh, he sent to the prophet and the prophet said, you're going to die. Well, that's not the word you want. You want to, yeah, yeah, I say God going to help me live today. <laughs> you know, you get sick, you call for prayer support and they say you're going to die. And Hezekiah was like, hold up. That was not that was not the mail I was looking for, Ike. <laughs> come, come, come on, prophet Isaiah. I wanted a yay, yay, I say. I'm going to get healed today. And here you are telling me I'm about to die. Um, but then he said, okay, I can, I can go to somebody who can even overrule what you're saying. And he went and turned his face toward God. Let's look at it. Isaiah 38, 
verse one through six. In those days, Hezekiah was sick and near death. And Isaiah, the prophet, the son of Amos, went to him and said to him, thus says the Lord, set your house in order for you shall die and not live. Then Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord and said, remember now, O Lord, I pray how I have walked before you in truth with a loyal heart and have done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. And the word of the Lord came to Isaiah saying, go and tell Hezekiah, thus says the Lord, the God of David, your father, I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. Surely I will add to your days 15 years. I will defend you and this city from the hand of the king of Assyria. And I will defend this city. Now, listen, he was already in the middle of a fight and then got sick. Oh, Lord. That's not a good time. You know, <laughs> you know, they, they say trouble comes in threes. Ever heard his <laughs> like, like, you know, this stuff start to, I mean, right, right in the middle of a fight, king of Assyria is coming. And then right in the middle of that, he gets sick. And then God tell, and then Isaiah, the prophet, the man of God, your, your, your man, your main man, your bishop come in and say, oh, you about to die. <laughs> and then he goes back and said, no, I love you, Isaiah. I respect you as a man of God, but you don't have the final say. And the scripture says he turned his face. And another passage of scripture said Isaiah was walking out and God said, eh, turn around and go back and tell him. Now, this, Isaiah didn't come up with the instruction on his own. He was only obeying God. But this man's prayer got got a different instruction from God. Isaiah, God, God rerouted. Ever had an Uber? Uh, you know, they go in this direction. And then something happened up ahead and then they get a reroute. Yeah, yeah, yeah. His prayer rerouted the prophet. All right. I want you to understand that you should trust in the voice of spiritual leaders. But listen, your prayer can even turn around what God told them. Amen. And it can turn out for your good. All right. Now, um, remember at the at the first Scripture, we, we told you that um, I, Hezekiah did a lot of good things, but there was an issue about the time he was sick and near death that where he got in trouble, right? And it says that he, his heart was lifted up in pride. So let's look at that incident and understand the reality that with all of his successes, Hezekiah got into pride that created leadership failure. And the pride that he had and the leadership failure that he got into didn't cause, because he humbled himself, didn't cause a problem for him, but it did hurt future generations of leaders. What I want you to understand is that some things that you can do now will make things worse for the generations that follow you later. Remember, at the beginning of his, of his reign, Hezekiah said, we're in a bad situation, and we didn't make it. The previous generations did some things that hurt us today. Right? They did some things yesterday that hurt us today. Then the question has to be asked by us, 
if people can do things bad that hurt us today, are we doing things bad that will hurt somebody tomorrow? Does that make sense? All right. Isaiah chapter 39, verse 1 through 8. Isaiah 39, 1 through 8. And it says, at that time, Merodach Baladan, the son of Baladan, king of Babylon, sent letters and a present to Hezekiah, for he heard that he had been sick and had recovered. And Hezekiah was pleased with them. Now, remember, the scripture calls this pride. And he showed them the house of his treasures, the silver and gold, ices and precious ointment and all his armory, all that was found among his treasures. There was nothing in his house or in his all his dominion that Hezekiah did not show them. He showed them all the family jewels. Then Isaiah, the prophet, went to King Hezekiah and said to him, what did these men say and from where they come. So Hezekiah said, they came to me from a far country from Babylon. And he said, what have they seen in your house? So Hezekiah answered, they have seen all that is in my house. There is nothing among my treasures that I have not shown them. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, hear the word of the Lord of hosts. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and what it and what your fathers have accumulated unto this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left. And they shall take away some of your sons who will descend from you, whom you will beget. And they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Hold it. Stop that scripture. We will go on to the next verse. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, commonly called Sadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, were the fulfillment of this scripture, weren't they? They were the eunuchs who served the king of Babylon. The scripture in Daniel 1 says they were from royal seed. So this man, Hezekiah, with all of the good things he did, scheduled difficulty in the future with one bad decision. And that one bad decision, the scripture says, was because he was proud of all of the stuff. The money got to his head. We have to be careful. Let's get, look at verse eight and we're done. So Hezekiah said to the Isaiah, the word of the Lord, which you have spoken is good. For he said, at least there will be peace and truth in my days. Uh, Hez, Hez, come on, man. I mean, you got to the point where all you cared was, as long as it's good while I'm still alive, everything good. You didn't care that Daniel was going to get enslaved and enchained? That they was going to cut off his private parts? That's what it means to be a eunuch? He's going to be dragged out? And when he should be sitting in nobility on a throne in Jerusalem, he's going to have to serve a throne in Babylon. You don't care? No, he didn't. When we think about our leadership lessons, we need to not only do things 
that serve God in our lifetime, but consider how our decisions will affect the future. Somebody say amen.